get fired up. Oh yeah! Performance, Performance enhancing, enhancing audio. audio. This is the State of Combat Podcast with Brian Campbell. Oh yeah, a podcast so nice. They made the SOC do it twice this week. Mixed martial arts. Your boy BC back in your ear hole. The morning after report from Danny Gay, Calvin Cater, featherweight main event at UFC Fight Island 2. Well, with all the breakdown, we will look ahead as well to this Saturday's Fight Night card flyweight championship on the line in the rematch between Devison Figueredo and Joseph Benavides. And there's only one man that I would consider grabbing from, from his slumber, wiping the crud out of his eye and shaking him the heck up to get him on this pod. Let me bring in the earthquake survivor, the former UFC champion, the Hall of Famer in life and in fighting, Rashad Evans. Rashad, I don't know uh, how connected you are up the chain to Uncle Dana, but Wednesday night fight nights that end at 1.35 a.m. East Coast time, not my favorite thing in the world. BC, I feel you, man. I feel you. And you already know, man, I, I, I woke up late this morning. I feel like I hung out in a party last night, just realized I just watched a UFC fight that just lasted to one o'clock, maybe two in the morning, man. It, it was a late one, but it was enjoyable. The, the, the final uh, fight was uh, definitely worth it, man. Absolutely. It's uh, two fight cards into this four-night, two-week stand at Fight Island in Abu Dhabi. Uh, could be, we could be here a long time this year with the money they're paying out and the unknown of the quarantine, but UFC still bringing it again uh, Rashad, do you have a uh, instant reaction here? It was a top 10 featherweight duel. There was a lot on the line. When you consider this, uh, something like five or six of the top seven fighters, or maybe maybe it was four of six, they're just inactive at featherweight. You know, we haven't seen a Brian Ortega, Yair Rodriguez, a Korean zombie, a Zabit this calendar year. It has opened the door for those willing enough, those bold enough, to keep fighting and keep winning. And that's just what Calvin Cater did with a five-round unanimous decision. Is he now, in your eyes, at 32 years old, of that upper-tier tighter con- title contender ilk? Yeah, he definitely is. And I think that the fight yesterday kind of showed it. You know, um, you know, I, I think in, in getting to this position and getting to be the man that we know is Calvin Cater, who's, you know, headlining the, these, uh, these fight cards, you know, he had to go through what he went through against his beats and stuff like that and have his setbacks and things. And now he's developed and now he, he, he's, he's fighting the way that he knew he can fight. And listen, he, he still has a bit decline still, but I definitely like him in the conversation after Zabit definitely fights for a championship. Cater uh, ends up going the full distance. And I think it was important here for both guys to have established that they can go five rounds hard. Ige had never been there. Cater hadn't been there since like 2009, back in an almost uh, prehistoric early version of himself. I think Rashad to a certain degree, and look, this was a main card, by the way, where every single fight went the full distance. I almost felt like both guys had taken just enough off the gas the whole fight to make sure they were going to be there at the end. And it didn't end up becoming the type of fight that Dan Ige normally wins, which is just suffocating you volume in and out, in and out it became a little bit more of a technical affair. And that ended up favoring Cater. I loved what he did from distance. He used his length. We knew he was going to be the heavier uh, striker, and he made sure to establish that in the judge's eyes. 
But I saw little things, the takedown defense, a lot of little wrinkles where, Rashad, this may have been the kind of win for when Cater does move up to those super elites that'll help him because you don't typically knock those guys out like he has been able to do on the run leading up to this fight. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, uh, going against a guy like Dan Ige, who, who's tough, who's a tough outing, you know, he's not, you know, skill-wise and technique-wise that high up, as you know, co- compared to the guys on the upper echelon of the competition. But at the same time, he still does offer that hard knot out just because he's just so determined to win. And he has that ability to hold you down on the ground like a Habib and stuff like that because he has a nice little inside wrist grab that he does with his ground and pound position that's kind of devastating. Um, but, I mean, you know, Cater uh, showed his, his t- the takedown defense, but he just showed the ability just to keep the fight where he wants to keep the fight and keep the fight at range, you know. Um, and one thing I liked about Cater is the fact that sometimes he waits a little bit long to get started with his hands and things like that, but he got busy right in this fight and just maintained it the whole way through. Uh, Ige, Ige, for the most part, I thought that he was going to, you know, he had to fight a suffocating game. Uh, when, you're, when you're a guy like Dan Ige and you're not technically on the level as these guys that are uh, higher ranked than you, you got to make the fight ugly. So then that way, what you're good at can come out. And then when you make the fight ugly, those glaring um, attributes that they have that is bigger than yours as far as a cleaner striking that Cater had versus Dan Ige, it goes away because when you make it ugly, those guys are fighting from their, from their heart. And when you fight from your heart, there's a lot of holes, there's a lot of wild punches, <laughs> and, and that's when you make the mistakes. Here's what's interesting, because coming into this fight, two guys in the top 10, Cater at 8, Ige at 10. But I mentioned how sort of weird some of the division is in terms of the rankings. Frankie Edgar is still ranked at number 7, although he's moving down to Bantamweight. Josh Emmett also tied for that number 7 ranking with UFC. He's not going to fight for a while due to injury. Jeremy Stevens at number 9 just got knocked out. So for Calvin Cater, overnight, Rashad, he moves down to number 6. The four guys in front of him, haven't fought this year yet, and don't have a fight scheduled at the moment. Champion Alexander Volkanovsky just four days removed from defending his title against Max Holloway in a close fight. We heard late Saturday Volkanovsky say, I want to fight again late this year, maybe December. I want whatever, whoever is the top contender, whoever is available. I liked hearing Cater sort of softly shoot his shot after and say, look, the champ wants a top contender. I'm that guy. Let me bang. Let somebody stand up here and bang with me. I'm ready. Is it realistic at all, Rashad, that now at the number six spot, Cater could slide in there by the end of the year? It's definitely realistic, and especially when you look at the fights that we've been seeing since the quarantine has happened and since the, the post-COVID situations happened. We've seen a lot of repeats happen. Sometimes you're seeing guys fight after they just fought, you know, a UFC show, uh, prior and they're only missing one in between uh one show in between so it shows that guys are having a fast turnaround and it also shows the fact that they can't get the talent that they were getting before you know for whatever reason for people not wanting to travel not being able to train with the situations as they are as far as not be able to go to the gym and have a proper training camp whatever the case may be there uh, there's stress on the talent so that means that there's only a uh, select few fighters who are able to uh, get into the gym who are e- even confident enough to want to want to risk it in the situation that they have to risk to uh, to train and potentially train for a fight and then make it all the way there just to be told that you're positive for COVID and you can't compete anyway. So there's a lot that, that goes to uh, fighters just not being able to make it. And now this opportunity, it goes to those who are 
you know, seizing the opportunity. It goes to those who are in shape, who are ready, who can make do with not having those training camps, you know, and, 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 and those who have a good work ethic on their own, who don't need a lot of people to get, to get in great shape. Yeah, Cater wins his fourth in his last five. The only loss was when he pushes a beat to the limit in that fun three-round fight, and he's had knockouts over names that we know, love, and respect in this division leading up to this decision win. So let's say Cater doesn't have a dream scenario of, be, of sliding in and getting the title shot next. Rashad, there are those four names, Zabit at two, Ortega at three, who, look, let's be honest, Ortega hasn't fought now in two years. We don't know when he's coming back. Korean Zombie at four, and Yair Rodriguez at five. One of those guys is probably going to get a phone call saying, look, are you ready for your title shot? Okay, let's go down to Australia. Be there. Meet me there in December. Which guy makes the most sense next for the champion if it's not going to be Calvin Cater just staying busy and staying lucky? Man, that's that's an interesting question. Um, I mean, you know, it it would have to be – I don't know the situation was a beat, but I think I think it would have to be as a beat. You know, I mean, he's he he's the next guy in line when you look at how he's performed as of late, and when you look at you know what he's been able to do with with you know with with Cater, and um, you have to put him in that position because I think when it comes to Volkanovski becoming the champion, he does need to step away from the whole Max situation so people can actually see him and then start to gain respect for him in his reign as champion. You know, he's, he's proved himself, beat Max twice, controversial, whatever it may be, but now it's time for him to start his reign. And I think Zabit's a perfect person for him. Yeah, he also retired Chad Mendes with a KO, also uh, made Jose Aldo look bad in a wide decision win. So Volkanovski proven to be the real deal. If we end up getting him against uh, Zabit, that's a hell of a fight, Rashad. And if Cater ends up moving up later in this year to fight Another one of those top six guys in that discussion. I mean, could you imagine Calvin Cater against Yair Rodriguez, for example, would be a fantastic fight. Could we favor, though, Cater against anybody right now in the top five? Yeah, I, I really like K- Cater against a lot of guys in the top five just because of how, how he fights. You know, I, I, even against a, f- a fight with Zabit, um, Zabit won that fight by a landslide. But as you've seen in the third round, you know, you've seen a very surgeon cater, one who was believing in his combinations, one who was actually landing some shots, and one who was closing the gap where you were looking at that fight like, man, if he would have turned in a second or even at the end of the first round like he did this third round, then we might be looking at a different fight altogether. And I think in that situation, cater was just kind of being new to just, just being in that spotlight. And now he's, you know, had a chance to headline a pay, uh, fight card, I think it, he starts to grow in his belief in himself, and now you got a top ten contender. Forget Dana buying a property on Abu Dhabi, which he teased last week. How about some of these fighters? Because you know <laughs> Dan Ige has now fought three times this calendar year, including twice during the quarantine. Gilbert Burns is a quarantine regular. Maybe they just make like you know uh, U- the UFC apartment building on Yaz Island, and guys just you know take up residency and fight every cut. So we're shot for everything we said. Coming in, we had Dan Ige on earlier this week, and he had talked big about, I stay ready. I don't want to miss the opportunity. The window's short, and I feel fresh by taking so many times in a short period. We know that there's a plus side to that. Is there any negative to being this active on such a high level where we can try to build the case? Look, Dan Ige just wasn't as good as Calvin Cater on Wednesday night. But is there any area where you would say maybe a little bit more time off could have helped him? Um. 
you know, it, it's it's a roll of the dice, you know, because it's the same thing that that, that made him and put him in this position by taking a short notice fight is actually the same thing that may have hurt him in this fight taking a short notice fight against Cater, you know. So it's like, how do you how do you how do you gauge that? You know, I think I think for um, for Ige though, uh, the writing is on the wall. Like you know, he he's been able he stepped up and he fought over his potential when he fought Edson Barbosa, but that was a dangerously close fight. But then you you have a fight with Cater who is just a completely different fighter and just a lot sharper than, than Bar, uh, Bar, uh, Edson was. So, you know, it's hard to say he should have not taken this fight, but I, I guess the only, uh, the only thing that would worry me about a guy taking fights and not having enough time to train is when they start racking up too many of these losses in a row, these short notice losses in a row. You know, I think these short notice fights are great because w- what it's allowing these fighters to do it's allowing these fighters to uh, get in a fight without beating up their bodies in camp. Now, 75% of the injuries that we see happening, they happen in training, you know? So most fighters are getting hurt in training. So if you can cut that down by having shorter camps or having these short notice fights, then you're having more fighters fight fresher and potentially fight longer. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. A flyweight co-main event on Wednesday night. Tim Elliott, we said coming in, three-fight losing skid, but he's been very active. He's been in those fights, and he's clearly a better talent than that record indicated, uh, yet nobody wants to lose four in a row. So he went in there against Ryan Benoit. He ends up taking a close unanimous decision, 29-28, and all three cards. It's clear, Rashad, the judges preferred his activity level but I saw Benoit with, with, you know, an argument to have won that fight. He landed the cleaner punches throughout. Did the judges get it right in your eyes? I thought they got it right, but it, it was dangerously close. You know, Benoit went out there to, uh, to definitely ruin Elliott's uh, night. And, um, you know, he, he did land a cleaner shots and, and looked like it may have been cleaner shots. And that could have been just the way Elliott moves, you know what I'm saying? The way he, the way he reacts to a shot, it, it can make it look like he got he got hit with a bigger shot. But, you know, I was I, I liked uh, Elliott's um, forward pressure, and I liked his his activity level. You know, that activity level alone is hard to stop. When a guy's moving like that all the time, whether you hit him clean or not, you don't really know how to judge that punch that you just landed on because he hasn't stopped moving. He hasn't given you any kind of pause in his action to let you know if you landed that good shot. So you don't know if you should pursue with more of those punches. And I've seen a lot of that in that fight as well, too. So... But it was a great fight for Elliott to get off of that that bubble, even though he did get a UFC contract. And I think that kind of helped him not feel so much pressure in this fight. He did a lot of little things, though, which ultimately helped him. Even if he when he, when he was taken down, he instantly would apply a guillotine. I mean, he was constantly working for submissions and showing that he was the more aggressive guy. And, I mean, we've seen it time and again, Rashad. Activity can win you fights, even if it's not always clean. I mean, here's what's interesting. We had a debate, you and I, on Monday's show. A lot of people have had it this week. About, I'm sorry, Tuesday. Uh, I don't know what day it is anymore, Rashad. Let's be honest. <laughs> um, uh, 
in terms of like, look, uh, fights that are really close. I mean, you know, boxing and, and MMA, we've seen this. The, the activity can win it for you. But I heard Luke Thomas, a guy we both work with at times in respect on his radio show this week, take that a little bit further. He had to rewatch the Volkanovsky-Holloway fight from last Saturday multiple times to really freeze frame the video and get all, you know, Zapruder film style. And he said after doing that, after, you know, fast forward, rewind and really doing it, he's content now that in real time he thought Max won. Now with the benefit of multiple camera angles and really slowing it down, in a lot of these exchanges, he's content believing Volkanovsky won. But he made a key point there. Nobody would be able to do that in real time, sitting in a darkened room, you know, a couple feet from the cage where at times your your viewpoint can get blocked by the back of a fighter and all that. There's no replays. There's no nothing of that. You don't get to see on social media if 99% of the people are giving it one way. You hand in your scorecard. You're alone on your own island, so to speak. It, it created a longer discussion about are judges actually the most well-equipped to score this fight? And I think that's interesting. I wanted to hear your take on this. This can be such a subtle uh, and important art. If you have to slow down the damn video to see all the brilliance that somebody like a Volkanovsky is doing, or anytime you have a fight between two high-energy, high-volume guys who have great technique, I mean, no wonder the judges end up scoring either damage or activity more often than not. It ain't easy, Rashad. No, it's not easy. And and I think and I think the fact that, you know, um, you know, there isn't just one judge goes to show the fact that, you know, it is hard for one judge to pick up on all the things you need to pick up on to determine who won the fight. You know, because you get all these different judges and each of them see a different angle and see a different perspective of the fight. And collectively speaking, you hope that they can come up with a decision that satisfies what actually happened in the fight, but sometimes they do miss the mark. And as of lately, they have missed the mark. You know, I think the biggest thing that needs to be addressed is just a simple criteria uh, of what certain things actually amount to in a fight. You know, you knock a guy down in a fight, you know, there should be a criteria uh, of what that knockdown amounts to. You know, I mean, every knockdown in a fight or in, in a round does not necessarily mean the person won that round, but at the same time, you do have to judge that in accordance to what happened in the rest of the round. And I think yeah. that sometimes it's not being, you know, not being done. But I think a criteria with some of these things that happen in a fight will help. For sure. And, uh, you know, maybe five judges for title fights and you, you know, get rid of the, the outlier scores and you keep the three right in the middle. I mean, it's not, it's, not an impo- it's not a stupid idea. Try it once. Let's see what happens. Why have controversies and title bouts? Uh, Rashad, also on this card, uh, a pair of uh, Bantamweight contenders moving up to featherweight just because of the situation with Jimmy Rivera coming back after the long left, not having an opponent as recently as, what, four or five days ago, he gets Cody Stamen. This had a lot of potential to be a firework fight. It turned out to be more of a grappling and technical affair, but it was Jimmy Rivera grinding, taking a unanimous decision three to zero on two of the three scorecards. Did this show you enough that after losing three of his last four coming in, all against elite competition, that Rivera still has a chance to remain in that elite competition if he can get busy again and get back in a good rhythm. Absolutely. It showed that Rivera is, is growing, you know, uh, earlier, you know, before, before this fight even happened, you know, Cody Stamen was saying the fact that, you know, uh, Rivera's style is old and he hasn't improved and he hasn't, um, you know, he hasn't evolved. And yesterday he just crushed every single thing that he said. I mean, 
He looked like the better striker. His combinations were on time. His defense was on time. Uh, just his education of of defensive, you know, defensively speaking, and his countering was just on point. And he and he looked like you know he was just uh, on another level than than Stamen did. Um, so you know, it, and actually speaking, it's tough to come back and compete the way that he did compete. I mean, you know, not for nothing, he's you know, he hasn't competed in over a year and then he's coming back and he's competing in a completely different UFC. Every person that has fought in the UFC since this COVID thing has happened has said it's just a different thing. It's just so different. Some fighters really like it and we've seen the results of that because we've seen some great fights inside the octagon. But some fighters, it's a weirdness that they just can't get used to and you never know how you're going to get used to it until you're getting there. And uh, Rivera went in there and, and showed that, you know, it was not a thing at all. And he kind of looked the best that he's looked in a long time. So he you definitely know, and, deserved it. And you take the fact that he said, after, for as good as he looked, he said afterwards that there was some rust and, you know, he did what he had to do to win. So that shows you that there's certainly a, a bigger, ups, bigger upside or upside and upside in his Stay away from many issues. Uh, I think Rashad Evans, uh, especially a prime version, would need the non-quarantine effects of a full arena, the rush of the crowd to pump him up. I don't know. That's just yeah, I, on the outside looking in. You know what? I, I, I think so, man. Listen, I mean, I love the ultimate fighter style for, for a point, but uh, there's something to me kind of eerie about the whole not fans in the crowd and just being able to hear every single thing in the arena. It's kind of, it's kind of weird, man, but you know, you have to, you have to seize the opportunity right now because you know, opportunities going to those who are ready for it. True, true. You know who was ready last night? Women's flyweight, Talia Santos, who has improved to now 16-1. and one. This was just her second UFC fight, but she made Meatball Molly McCann last night, Rashad. I'm sorry, looked like an amateur. This was a dominant performance from a tall, lengthy fighter, again, in a division at 125, where we ain't got nobody to talk about but the champ Valentina, right? We got a couple of decent contenders, but I need to see a lot more of her. I can't tell if Molly McCann is just a giant step down or if Tali was jumping through my screen telling me I'm a future real deal player here. What were your takes from that? I, BC, I was feeling like you, man. I was feeling like she's a real deal player. And I was even more excited the fact that she has real size. You know, she's not she's not a blown up 125 pounder and didn't shrink down too much to get to 125. So she's right at the perfect uh, Goldilocks, you know, temperature, you know what I'm saying? So she can definitely be a contender in this weight class, and, and it showed uh, last night. So in a weight class that's starving for talent, that's starving for, for, for someone to step on a scene to be able to feed or challenge the, the champion, she looks like a promising start. Yeah, she seemed to have some of that, like, it factor from the standpoint of, like, poise, confidence, length, technique. I mean, it seemed like she just – belonged there and knew it and just relied on that. And look, Meatball Molly can be a player, a character, but she was 3-0 in her last three, and she came in in the best shape we'd seen her in a while, and it just it wasn't even close to enough. So that showed you the talent gap there. Uh, Rashad, to close out this card, the opening bout, it was a catchweight bout at 174. But this turned out to be a wild fight. It was your fight of the night. Munir Laze from Tunisia, he came out. And he almost got sent to hell, Rashad, in the opening 60 seconds by an aggressive and also, you know, top-looking Abdul Razak Al-Hassan, who for about, you know, 60 seconds looked like a world-beater when he was lighting Munir up. But Laze stayed the course, and he started firing some sick elbows. And before you know it, this one goes the distance. It was violent, 
And I feel like we got to watch this guy, you know, to find out now his backstory that some teenage kid ran up to Dana White in Abu Dhabi with a cell phone and had a highlight package and said, you need to watch this guy. And here we are. He's got a UFC deal, and he looked great last night. He looked phenomenal last night. Listen, it's tough to make a UFC debut. It's even tough to make a UFC debut where things are not going your way. And you have a guy in front of you that was he was just unloading on him. And just the poise that he was able to take all of that with so much calmness, even though some of those punches were getting in. And it's so hard to block punches with those small four-ounce gloves and for them not to find a place inside. And, you know, he was doing such a great job with his defense where very little was getting in, getting in. And those that did get in, he took some off. And so he was able to just stand there and take the, take the punishment. But what I was more impressed with than anything is how he was like the Terminator. You know, he was just eating those shots, boom, 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 walking forward and giving one and giving a hard one too. And, and that, that's like, it's like a bad dream. It's like, you ever have one of those dreams where you just punch somebody as hard as they can and then they're just smiling at you going forward? That is a nightmare. That, that was like something that I always hoped would never happen in a fight, man. I punch a guy as hard as I can and then he smiles. He's like, yeah, come on, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, Al Hassan was tough, but he found there was a dog in front of him that would not stop. So uh, I love the violent mix of strikes. I love the attitude, the chin, the hunger. There's the stamina. I mean, we saw a lot from Laze to want to watch more. So big win for him right there. Uh, this was a great card on paper. We didn't see a lot of finishes, but it was what it was. We got some answers atop the featherweight division. Uh, Rashad, a little bit of news before we transition to this weekend's card. How fired up are you? Or do you even know it's happening this Saturday in Iowa on the Mississippi Valley Fairgrounds? Do you know of this pay-per-view kickboxing clash we have coming our way between 57-year-old, I think that's 57, yes, Michael Nunn, the former boxing champion, and 52-year-old former UFC champ Pat Militich for $24.95, you can purchase Clash of Legends. And I will tell you right now, Rashad, the poster has pictures of these two gentlemen, definitely. From the 1990s, they don't want to look at. Like, what is going on here? Is this just two tough guys that are bored? What's happening here? It, yes, man. Yeah, listen, I love Pat. Pat's like one of the best analysts and, and and a good friend. But I mean, wow, to 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 be doing it at at 52 and and I mean a pay per view around it. Listen, it just goes to show what the quarantine has done. The quarantine has made people believe they can do it again and and trying to do it again, man. Uh, good luck on selling this paper. I don't know. It's a curiosity. It'll be interesting. Uh, I do love me some Pat Militich too. He's wild and unpredictable. That guy will drop a conspiracy theory on a dime, Rashad. All right? <laughs> all right? I need him to look into why Houston Alexander didn't throw any punches against Kimbo Slice. All right? I'm telling you, <laughs> something was fishy right there. Uh, also in the news, Rashad, Jorge Masvidal, fresh off the title loss to Kamara Usman, says he wants an re- immediate rematch instead of what could come from the publicity and money in a potential Conor McGregor fight, telling ESPN, Usman, obviously, it's a no-brainer. Usman, could they offer me bigger names and pay me more money? Yes, for a fact. But if it's up to me, Usman, for me stepping up on six days' notice when nobody else would, end quote. So, Rashad, 
there's a case to be made that, like, sorry, Jorge, dude, you had your chance and you didn't do anything. But you do get rewarded as a company man often. Does he have any case here to slide in ahead of Gilbert Burns and get a full camp shot at the belt? I don't think so. Because, and, and listen, I, I, I do think it was great for him stepping up. But what that fight showed more than anything is that he's just not ready. He's just not ready. And if you're, if you're a manager of Masvidal, you'll be like, yo, bro, I love what you're saying right now because you need to say those things in order to save face, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, so people can still believe in that you are there baptizing people and you will baptize people. He needs to say those, say those things. But if you're managing him, if you're coaching him, if you're anything that has anything to do with his fight career, you will say, all right, Let's pump the brakes on that whole thing. We have a, a, a glaring hole in this matchup that we need to address. And until we address that, that glaring hole in the matchup, it's going to be the same fight. And it may be even worse because now Kamaru has the confidence. He has he, – he, he, all of his – all of the fear that he had for Masvidal is gone. You know, he knows he's not going to get baptized with one punch and all the other things he may have thought going into this fight. So I don't think it, it's a good thing for him to even uh, – get another fight with, with Kamara right out the gate without going against somebody else and maybe going against somebody who will present to him the same challenges that he faced in Kamaru. The clinch. He's got to work on that clinch. It just seems – the more I think about it, the Leon Edwards fight makes a ton of sense because Edwards deserves a big name. They got the backstage history of fighting. Uh, and you could you give Masvidal a second chance here to be a, be an A side really you know and, mm-hmm. and try to move move uh, some eyes on it but no he doesn't deserve it right away uh, no. I like his hunger though look I like that he's come to terms here Rashad that I do have a shot at being an actual champion so I'm gonna take that shot rather than going right back into celebrity circus mode so I like to hear I, that he believes he's the better fighter A B C I like that he's saying it you know what I'm saying because if you whoop me. Next time I talk on the mic, I'm going to be like, yo, I want BC again, even though I yeah, may feel different right. inside of my heart. But I got to say that because, you know, I, I lost. That's it. That's it. Okay. Welcome to the BC era. Thank you very <laughs> much there. Uh, and, I, and again, look, without the welterweight title at stake, I don't think we do Masvidal McGregor soon because, yeah, it would bring a ton of money. But uh, I don't think Dana wants Connor to get beat up. I'm just going to say it. I'm going to say it. Dana don't want that, all right? Dana don't want that right now. Hey, let's play UFC matchmaker, particularly Rashad, as it extends to this welterweight division. It's something that Ben Askren and Chaz Skelly, of all people, were on social media doing. Here's what Ben Askren wants for the future of the 170 division. Kamar Usman against Gilbert Burns for the belt. Masvidal against Edwards, like we mentioned. And Woodley Covington. And, oh, by the way, Colby did tweet out over the past two days that it was on the line. There was a contract for Woodley Covington for August, and he claims Woodley has pulled out. Uh, Rashad Chess Skelly counters and says, Usman Burns, yes. But how about Edwards Covington? How about Masvidal McGregor? And how about Woodley Lawler too? Uh, whose plan for the future do you prefer and think is more likely? I like Chaz's, and I like his because his it actually suits everybody really well. You know, I think um, I think I think for somebody like T. Wood, I think somebody like Robbie Lawler would be perfect for him because you know they're both former champions and they're both kind of in the same place. And, and where uh, T. Wood is at, he needs a fight with 
somebody like Robbie because that was the fight that broke him out to be, you know, T Wood. You know what I'm saying? Broke him out to be this 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 star that we know as T Wood. So I think that will kind of be a uh, uh, initiation point for him. Like either I do it again or I not do it again. And this is the fight that made me. So it's the fight that makes me or breaks me. So I like that. You know, I think it's uh, I, I think Chaz is. Is, is a good matchup all the way. And also uh, the, the, the Masvidal and McGregor fight, you know, I think that's a great fight because you, you want to put the, both of those guys in a fight where there is no loser in that fight. You know what I'm saying? Both of those fight, guess who wins? The fans. Either one of them, no matter what the results are, it, it, won't, it won't hurt them. It won't hurt their brand. I think with, with both of these guys, they're in a brand uh, crisis situation where they can't afford to take another another uh, blow to their 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 brand just because of how much is invested in them. And I say with Jorge, you know, now he's on the cover of the game and he's got a lot of push in that respect. If he goes against a Leon Edwards, then it may be the exact same matchup that he had with Usman. You know what I'm saying? He he still needs to address that clinch situation. So I, I like it all the way through. And Gilbert Burns is definitely in line for the fight with Usman and that one right there has a built-in story and has a potential blockbuster on it too, because now it can give some time to grow and let more of the story grow and let more of the situation that broke out because of the story with Usman training over at in Denver. And that there's a story in itself, you know, it's kind of like shades of what happened to me and John Jones in a sense. Uh, Rashad, we on Monday show or Tuesday show, excuse me, put, uh, Kamar Usman and Jorge Masvidal on trial for the idea that that was a boring main event on Saturday. And, you know, fans didn't enjoy it. Usman is getting a lot of blame. We addressed that. Do you think that will uh, hurt his ability to headline pay-per-views moving forward? Will UFC still go in his direction if he's going against the Gilbert Burns, who right now isn't a big name? Will Usman still get the A-side pay-per-view main event chances moving forward? I think he still would, but I also think that, you know, he's going to need uh, some pay-per-view help. You know, I, I think that, um, you know, he still needs to be on there with, with uh, some other heavy hitters right now. And so people are completely sold in his brand. And, you know, they, it's a brand that they can trust because right now he's winning them over. And I've heard a lot of people after the fight start giving that reluctant, like, uh, I'm on board with this guy, like, man, I, I guess he's going to be champion for a long time. You know, when people say that, hit the sigh and then resign to saying something like that, that lets me know that they've already put in their mind that this is a guy that they have to get used to. So I think he's starting to win a lot of people over the wit like that. But until he fully gets to the position where people are following him, I think he's going to need some pay-per-view help. Yeah. Uh, and, I, you know, and I do hear what you're saying just a second ago about Masvidal McGregor. You could certainly play that up as a BMF title fight, but I don't know. There's no heat between them at the moment. I almost feel like you'd need, like, Masvidal to call him out and kind of build. I mean, look, if you put it on tomorrow with no promotion, it's still going to sell, you know, a ton. But I don't know. There's still a lot of danger to Conor. But, here, but, I mean, there. but here's the thing about it. Conor's been waiting, chomping at the bit to get some action. Yeah, but he it, wants that, title action, though. He wants, Yeah, but – I, I hear what you're saying, but I hear I was gonna say that all he would need is just an opportunity at a high profile fight and he would turn into the biggest fight of all time. Like he always does, and especially against somebody like Masvidal, who he can talk all the crap to with the you know, with wearing the robes. He's like, You wearing a pig robe, like I mean, I think it can go I off mean, pretty look, good. Yeah, it would it would it would it would be incredible. They could make it work, but I feel like if I can try to guess 
what's in Connor's head and his motivations right now. It's to win back his title, so he's chomping at a, at a chance at a at a Habib a second time, and then it would be something else. Like if it was the welterweight title on the line, I think he'd fight Masvidal next, no question. But it's not. So I don't know if he's going to enter into something where he doesn't have an advantage unless he has something to prove manhood wise, and he won't have that improve unless Masvidal kind of calls him out or attacks him. So I, I think there's still more connective tissue that would need to build that. Um, and look, if you're Dana and you still know, again, in the back of your brain that uh, Connor Habib 2 is going to be the biggest fight that ever happened, uh, maybe you try to get that first. Before I mean, but here, here, I mean, here's the thing, though, also. I think that the Habib and the Connor fight is losing a bit steam as the longer it goes without because now, now we have situations where, you know, and, 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 and you know, it's, it's a great thing that's happened, but humanity is starting to take over in between a relationship, meaning the fact that, you know, there's been some, uh, there, there's been some, um, I guess some shared traumatic situations when it comes to family stuff that they've been able to see eye to eye on, and they've been able to reach out to each other and support, you know, with a COVID situation and things like that. And there were other times where, uh, you know, Conor McGregor has reached out and said something nice and vice versa in, in, in both ways. So, when, when you say that, when, when, you, when you look at that and their relationship and what they've been able to, you know, just, just be great humans to each other, it seems hard to believe that if they fought each other again, they're going to just, you know, throw all that to the side and just get back to being nasty to each other again. You know what I'm saying? I so agree. That, and we have, to, we have to remember that Connor was like a humble, almost changed man in the build of the cowboy fight. Now you can right. say that was, you know, I almost feel like, Look, the guy he was on the build of the Habib fight in 2018, I feel like he let us know in secret language, Rashad, in the interviews, that that was a man who was doing a lot of crazy things outside the cage. That was a right. man who was not the man he should have been, and that's why you saw the behavior of throwing the dolly, of taking the build of that fight and kind of making it a race-religion war. I mean, you know, he took it to some crazy levels. Then suddenly against Cowboy, he's this reserved gentleman. I think you're right on the idea that there isn't the same vitriol between them but I do think Connor is watching closely to see whether Habib in the aftermath of his father's recent death is going to want to come back this fall and is going, you know, you mix that with the unknown of the quarantine. If Habib isn't ready or doesn't want to go right away in like September, I wonder if Connor's thinking, yeah, maybe I can slide in and fight for that interim title against Justin Gaethje and really set up that Habib rematch that way. I don't know if he'd be interested in the uh, interim, but that, I mean, if that becomes an option for the UFC, that's a that's a monster series of events. Yeah, that that would be huge, and it makes a lot of sense too because we don't know how uh, Habib is going to react from the loss uh, of his father. When you when you look at um, you know what his father would bring to him just on a training basis, you know it, it seems to be hard to think that he'd be able to just um, you know uh, be able to go on. And especially with the fact that he can't come over here to AKA and train. So he's going to have to do his training camp over there. I mean, he has a training partner. He has a great team over there with a lot of Dagestani fighters, but it's just not the same uh, head of control. And, um, you know, it, it's, uh, it's a difficult situation, but it does put Connor in position to, to seize an opportunity like, the, like you were saying. Yeah, indeed. Uh, one more bit of news. Dana White was interviewed by Kevin Ioli of Yahoo Sports over a live Instagram and asked what would the UFC do if the COVID numbers continue to go in the wrong direction stateside 
And if the state of Nevada issued another, you know, lockdown on putting on fights at the apex, quote, my backup plan would be Fight Island. We might be living there, Dana said. Anything is possible if Nevada shuts down and doesn't allow us to do fights. Yeah. I mean, we spend a lot of time in Abu Dhabi. So uh, Yaz Island will really become UFC Fight Island by that point. Everyone living there, all the fights out of there. That'd be a wild turn of events, Rashad, if we unfortunately go in that direction. But, uh, I, you know, Uncle Dana, he's a smart man. He knows where the money is. Well, and he's I mean, there, and he's listen, there right now. listen here, here, here's the reality of the situation. Um, in Abu Dhabi, the UAE, the UFC has a great, great relationship with uh, the Sheikh. The, the sheikh and, and his brother, they uh, they run the country, you know. So if they're in line with whatever the UFC has got going on, then it gets no better than that because at that point the UFC can make their own their their own you know way of how they want to do things, you know, because they have so much lean, leeway with um, being so tied to the to the royal family there. So you know that that'll be smart for them, and at the end of the day, it will off it will offer them a chance to bleed out. The, the talent pool from the international level because we see that they're draining it pretty much here in America. So it actually give them a chance to get some of those fighters on the international level, more uh, circulation. Uh, just a reminder to Rashad and anyone out there. Uh, it's not only fight Island folks, uh, golf back in a big way in, in one man in particular, Tiger, the big cat, Tiger Woods. He's back this weekend, his first start since February at the Memorial tournament and you know the First Cut Golf Podcast uh, has you covered on CBS Sports. Round-by-round round recaps, uh, podcast as Tiger searches for career win number 83. You can find the First Cut Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to enjoy fine audio. The CBS First Cut, uh, they got you covered start to finish in between. Rashad, uh, Tiger Woods has 82 career wins, which is in in incredible. Do you think he has more or less um, – out of wedlock relationships over that same span in his golf career. <laughs> it's got to be more. Listen, everybody's got a little darkness, especially when they reach a level. They got a little darkness that make them that make that that evens it out for them. So I don't know. I don't know how these ladies keep getting my cell phone number. They just keep sliding <laughs> in. You know. All right, there you go. Uh, Rashad, let's dig into this weekend. Here we go. UFC Fight Night. Uh, what, do you, what are we going to call this? Fight Island 3? I don't know. But it's going down on ESPN Plus this Saturday from Yaz Island. And it's a heck, a heck of a fight. A rematch for the UFC vacant flyweight championship. The same one Henry Cejudo vacated when Devison Figueredo, who only just, just recently got on a plane and landed in Abu Dhabi amid concerns of COVID-19, because of a positive test that he had on July 11th, putting the, the fight in jeopardy. He will face Joseph Benavidez. Uh, just a little history. They fought earlier this year. Figueredo missed weight. He was ineligible for the title. He knocked Benavidez out. It did come, though, Rashad, if you remember, after a headbutt, which opened up a cut on Joe, left him, in his words, a little bit woozy. Not the ideal circumstances for anybody that first night, although Figueredo did really establish himself as a potential killer in this division. How will all of that, Rashad, affect this Saturday's title rematch, considering Joseph Benavidez up until what? Like a day ago, thought he may have to fight Andre Pantoja, the last-minute replacement that was also flown out there. Uh, we're going to have a title fight. What should we expect here? I mean, for, for one, you can expect Benavidez to uh... – you know, to, to, to 
you know, write some of these demons off that, that he didn't last time. You know, it's tough to be in a situation that he's in. Uh, after that last fight, he was, you know, thinking about retiring and just seeing the disappointment and the, uh, the dejection in his face and how, how upset he was. My heart went out to him because I know what, what, he, what he accomplished to climb himself in that position. But, you know, he's going against a guy who knocked him out last time. And it was uh, a bit of controversial in his eyes because he did get the headbutt and stuff like that. But the guy still knocked you out. Whenever you in a fight with somebody like that and you have that kind of memory of them, it does kind of put a deep, different sink in your stomach when you got to step on the line and the referee says go. But it offers a great chance of redemption. And a guy like in, uh, in, in Joseph Benavides, who's been, you know, coming up short in these situations, I just hope that he gets to be champion, man. Because I'm, I'm tired of seeing I, – I can't stand to see him – come away with his hands not raised again in a situation where you know i believe he is the best he is uh he has the potential for a bispinging bispinging I don't, <laughs> I don't know where i'm going here michael bisping like ending to his career here i'm not saying he'll lose an eye i'm saying pull a championship <laughs> late in your career when you're already considered you know one of the best in your division's run over the past 10 years that is benavides at 35 rashad you know we've largely only seen him lost to the very best and have that decision loss to Sergio Pettis in between during that run. But uh, he's great. You know, he has that, uh, the un, the unwanted potential of going down as a bridesmaid historically, right? We look at Dan Henderson as the best fighter in UFC history to not win a UFC title, but he did win in pride. He did win in strike force. Uh, we do look at sort of some of those other guys in that discussion, the Jacarees, who were great for a long period of time but couldn't get over the mountain. Uriah Faber, another example, although he was WEC champion. Benavides can crack that egg on Saturday. What do you think he has to do? I mean, is it just carry out the game plan that he would have the first fight if he didn't get caught with that headbutt and then get caught with the punch that finished him? He's the more technical fighter in a lot of ways. Could we be seeing a five-round chess match here? High-speed chess. I, th I think I think we can, but I also uh, you know I, I like the fact that um, ben Benavides is is a nice clean striker, and he's going against another clean striker who can get it done on the ground, who has a very good submission game as well. But I think Benavides is what's going to do him best is that in between game, meaning the fact that he throws a punch, he clinches Figueroa, he make it ugly in there, he punches on a clinch, he he goes for a shot, don't fully commit to a shot. When Figueroa's stopping a the shot, then he releases punches and starts punching. I think a flow of a fight like that, it favors the Benavides kind of fight because he, he's, got that, he's got that ability to pull all those things off. But more importantly, those are the things that will put Figueroa on his heels because he's not going to be able to hit those transitions as smooth as a Benavides will. So I think he should implement that kind of game plan style. I think if he goes out in the center, try to go punch for punch or try to go, um, you know, technique for technique, he may end up uh, on, on a short end because Figueroa is really, really technical. Indeed. Uh, I'm looking forward to this fight. I do want to see the Joe Benav the Joe Jitsu story end and with a, you know, with a climax, if you will. I'm not talking about Megan Oliva here, if that's what you're wondering here. Um, Rashad, my prediction I think Joseph Benavides is, is, is thinking to himself, you know, I might have to knock him out, all right? I may have to be there and counter his big power attacks. I may have to take this and seize the opportunity, okay? Because you never know when a headbutt's going to come. You never know when a positive COVID test is going to come. You got to take it. You got to carpe <laughs> diem, bro, okay? 
Am I crazy to go no. for a uh, to, to go for a Benavides by finish here prediction? No, you, you, I mean, well, I mean, I'm, well, that, that's a bit crazy to go for a finish, but I mean, he does have to go with that kind of energy, BC, because if he doesn't, you never know. I mean, his his luck has not been too good, so nope. you almost want to just throw everything at it because when it comes down to it, in the reality of the situation, this is his last title shot. This is this is it. You know what I'm saying? This this is it. This is everything all rolled into one. And I hate to put that kind of pressure on a fighter, but the reality of the situation is sometimes your fight comes down to your 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 career comes down to one fight. And this is that one fight for Benavides. Yeah, I mean, what if you had one opportunity, one chance, right, Rashad? Mom spaghetti, you know where I'm going with this. No, I know, I feel it. Detroit, you know what I'm saying? You know? I feel it. I feel it, BC. I mean, you, here's here's the thing, Joe. You gotta lose yourself in the moment, right? You know, you only get you only get four shots at a title in your career. So let's take the last one here and let's do it. Uh, what is what is your prediction, Rashad? The people they do desperately want to know. Man, I'm going to go with uh, Benavides in this one. I don't know if I'm just pulling with them with a lot of emotion like I, I was with Ige here, but either way, I'm all in for Benavides. I really want this for him. I don't want my man to go out like a bridesmaid. I want something better for him. All right, Figueroa, though. Figueredo is on a hell of a streak here. Three straight wins and really just one loss going back to his pro debut in 2012. He's 18-1. and one. He has a... Uh, a better, you know, run here that we give him credit. And I said Andre Pantoja. It's Alexandre Pantoja, who is the number three contender who will be on this card. And, oh, by the way, Figueroa defeated him last July. So, Rashad, co-main event, Jack Hermanson looking to bounce back with a big middleweight win. He'll get Kel- Kelvin Gastelum. I like this fight. But uh, Brandon Wise, our CBS Sports colleague who's been on the show a few times, has this theory, Rashad, that Kelvin Gastelum isn't, has never been an elite fighter, he just went in there one night against the great uh, Adesanya and was willing to pour the whole bottle onto the onto the canvas there at 236 in Atlanta. I was there, the best fight my eyes have ever seen in person. But he thinks we gave that guy too much credit for that one night. First of all, be wise, okay, get bent, all right, get bent, brother. All right, Kelvin was that guy. But in that same mold, Rashad, of conversation, you do lose a bit of yourself when you put it out there for five rounds on the highest level. Is he still that guy? What will we see here? I believe he's still that guy. And uh, sometimes a, a, a hangover from a title shot can last a little bit. Sometimes it's a longer hangover than, than you would like. You know, after I fought John Jones, I stumbled my next fight against Nogueira, but then I was able to find my footing again against in, in a tough fight with Dan Henderson. But it is just what happens uh, when you climb the top of the mountain and you just kind of like, why am I still doing this? And you need to find that that spark, that motivation. And that last fight where, where Calvin lost to, to a very tough Darren Till, you know, that's one of those fights where it's kind of like, all right, man, what what am I doing? Like, like it's like one of those like, all right, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it. And I can't just be in there, you know, half-assing it. And I think that's what um, Calvin you know, he, he was feeling, you know, and plus also with the, you know, with, with the suspension for, you know, uh, with, with the marijuana and things like that, he's chomping at the bit to get out there. So I think he's going to rewrite some wrongs. And I think the fact that he has slipped in his last performances puts him in prime position to have a breakout performance in a very tough fight with Jack Hermanson, who himself is kind of like shaking things off from his last fight with Cannoneer, who put him to sleep. 
Uh, if you are going the brand, the Brandon Wise route, and shout out to BW there, I was I was having a little fun, and you don't believe that Gastelum is that dude, uh, there is some damning evidence against him. Now, in his favor, Rashad Kelvin's still just twenty eight, so let's let's be realistic here. But he's two and three with a no contest the last three years. The two wins are a split decision over Jacare and a knockout of a you know Michael Bisping who shouldn't have even been in the cage that night in China fresh off of the loss to GSP. Yeah, he pushed Izzy to the limit, but he lost the till by split decision. He got submitted by Chris Weidman. He lost that opportunity of that KO of Vitor due to the marijuana test. Uh, it's going to be interesting. Rashad, will his wrestling ability, though, be able to cancel out what Jack Hermanson does best? Um, no. And, and, and here, I mean, well, I think, it, I think it will help him be able to keep the fight standing but but I think that you know what, what Hermanson brings to the table. I think that Calvin's going to have to worry about because this is the kind of fighter who gives Calvin a tough time. You know he's a he's a bigger frame guy and he's got you know that long tight skinny strength. And, and Hermanson is one one of those fighters who I see in there, and people just have a hard time with him because he he's got such an. Uh, uh, an awkward build to him, but he's, he's, he's strong and everything else too. So I see that giving um, Calvin some problems early out, but I like his looping punching style. I think his looping punching style finds his position outside of Hermanson's guard and be able to put him down. But I think for the most part, when it comes to the clinch position, I think he needs to avoid that, like the play with Hermanson, who's extremely strong in that position. Hermanson had won four in a row and looked like a contender, then got stopped by Jared Cannonier last September. Uh, Rashad, in all honesty, for, for uh, Kelvin Gastelum, this is sort of a cross-roady opportunity. If he loses, that's three in a row, right? At some point, they don't care that it's all against elite powers. But if he wins, he's going to be right back into that greater title picture. Adesanya, your champ. Costa up next. And then we, of course, have Whitaker and Till in just a week from uh, a week and a half from now. So interesting stuff. To close out this card, uh, what are you moved by anything? Mark Giacchese against uh, Rafael Fiziev at lightweight. Uh, Pantoja, who we mentioned, is going to open this card against Askar Askarov. And uh, you better ask yourself, this guy's a fighter here. I love that. You, know, you better ask somebody about Askar Askarov there. I like that fight. Anything else uh, tickling you? No, nah, that's about it, man. I like the Casey fight, though. But they, they got some pretty solid fights on this card. And, and you know, here, here's the thing about these cards. They're, they're cards where, you know, some of these fighters, we don't know the names to, but these fighters are coming to fight big and they're coming to fight hard. So, you know, these are the matchups that I find the most interesting because you always come out of these cards like, oh, okay, I didn't know who that guy was, but all right, I got to watch him. And, that, and that, I mean, that's that's some of the, 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 the blessing that's been behind some of these cards that's been uh, the COVID cards. Yeah, and watch out for Askarov. The Russian bullet is 11-0, and 0, going up against number three, Pantoja. Hey, a big win here could put him right in line for a potential title when you consider that he's fresh off a win over Tim Elliott. He pushed Brandon Moreno to the distance in that exciting draw, and uh, he's making a name for himself just two fights into his UFC career. Uh, that's the show for this week. Enjoy the fights this weekend. Check out CBS Sports HQ as Rashad and I, uh, you know, providing recaps, previews, personality all week for sure. Follow him at Sugar Rashad Evans on the Instagram and Twitters. Rashad, any other message for the people? Uh, we'd like to lift them up on the way out. Um, you know, take care, brush your hair, anything? Oh, uh, I got something. Uh, we out. <laughs>